Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, He's in conversation with Reverend Dr. Warren H. Stewart, Sr., Senior Pastor of the First Institutional Baptist Church located in Phoenix, Arizona. Pastor Warren Stewart of the First Institutional Baptist Church in Phoenix, Arizona. It's a joy to visit with you today and thanks for sharing in conversation in our Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. Well, it's always a blessing to be with you, my brother. Thank you for the work that you're doing, and thank you for including me in this uh, auspicious number. I'm honored and humbled. (laughs) Wonderful. We're having this conversation inspired by a pilgrimage of Striving and Thriving that we've been on with over 50 pastors for a couple of years. And in that journey, we make an assumption that concerning flourishing in ministry, every round does not go higher and higher. And that we think of flourishing sometimes like a tree where there are times where there are leaves, other times there are blooms. Sometimes the leaves are falling away and other times they're only bare branches, but still the tree can be healthy and thriving. There are different ways to think about flourishing And can you tell us something of what flourishing looks like from your perspective? Well, thank you very much. The first thing I would say about flourishing that I have discovered in these decades I've been in the ministry is faithfulness. Faithfulness doesn't always mean success, but it means that you are committed you are faithful to the calling God has on your life and that you press forward no matter what is going on. And so one of the first words I said that that, that comes to my mind is faithfulness when it comes to flourishing in ministry. I'm in my 44th year, I'll start 45 if the Lord lets me stay here and be alive July 1 of 2021, I'll start my 45th year. Never thought it would happen like that. 
<laughs> Wonderful. Let me ask you this. Are you, do you feel like you're starting to get the hang of it after <laughs> almost 45 years? I believe I got the hang of it now. Through many <laughs> dangers, toils, and snares, <laughs> I, I have already come. It was grace that brought me, saved us far. Yeah. Well, in our uh, journey of uh, flourishing in ministry, we've been exploring with pastors an idea that uh, we call a, a formula for flourishing. Mm -hmm. And it holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus the service context yields the ministry content, there is likely a higher probability for flourishing. So we don't assume you can just uh, drag and drop a ministry model that you've seen someone else do. And if using that idea of those components sure. uh, to, to contribute to flourishing, can you talk to us a little about how your context of service contributes to your content of ministry? I, I noticed something about a palm tree does not uh, flourish in Maine. And I don't know if you've interviewed any, any pastors yet from Hawaii, where there are many, many palm trees, but you are interviewing a pastor from the desert. I have been in the desert Southwest now, as I said, in my uh, 44th year. And so my context is not uh, an oak, not a palm tree, not an evergreen, but my context uh, includes desert trees and cacti. Uh, uh, and, and what I, I learned about desert trees is that they like a lot of sun, that they are drought resistant, uh, they thrive in infernal infertile and sandy soil, and they can thrive in intense heat. So my context would be a desert tree. I came here from New York City in 1977 uh, after graduating from Union Theological Seminary with my Master of Sacred Theology, uh, born and reared in Kansas from uh, childhood, uh, from, from infancy up until community college and left at 19. I went to Bishop College, graduated from there in 73. Then I went to New York City. And so at that time, New York City, the church, the church, uh, the church world thrived around New York City. Uh, Cornerstone, Baptist Church, Sandy Ray, Gardner Taylor, uh, over at Concord, Bill Jones, uh, at Bethany, John Ray Youngblood at St. Paul Community, and then I think uh, what it, the guy Peel, the, the white—I can't remember his full name—but Norman Vincent Peel. I mean, all of those, and there were great churches, white and black churches, in New York City. And so to leave New York City and to go to the desert, many of my classmates laughed at me. They said, "Uh huh, Stuart, Sandy Ray has been." has banished you to the desert. <laughs> and they laughed at me. They laughed at me, and uh, but, but I followed the calling and I came here to the desert. Being here in the desert, when I came, the, the African-American population was about three and a half percent. 
uh, it now is around six to five percent. Phoenix was just up and coming. Now it is the fourth largest city in the country. So it, yeah, it, it is a major metropolitan area, and and so it has changed. But still, being in the context of the desert Southwest affected my ministry. Now, the blessing was I came to the First Institution Baptist Church, which was and continues to be a leading church in the community, not just black church, but a leading church, because many of the great predominantly white churches that, that were here when I came, they're either going out of business. I mean, First Baptist Church of Phoenix no longer exists. First Methodist Church is struggling. I mean, so we, we are still alive. And it's the matter of learning how of ministering in a place that is not only a, a, a climate desert, but in many ways when I came and still now it is a spiritual desert. Um, and so I've had to work harder with fewer African-Americans uh, in the community at large in order to make ministry work here. And so I, I, I hope that makes sense of, of the context. I mean, the whole matter, as you, you may remember, I was involved in the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday fight from 1986 to 1992. And we finally won as the only state in the union that won by vote of the people. But we had to lead coalitions to, to, to educate the broader Arizona community that the Martin Luther King holiday, which was a federal holiday at the time, was not just a black holiday. It was a federal holiday. It, we were celebrating Dr. King, uh, it, who led this nation in the 20th century, like what Abraham Lincoln did in the, in the 19th century, leading us through the Civil War and emancipating slaves. And then what George Washington did in the in the 18th century in, in leading the Revolutionary War. And so in the desert environment, we had to educate millions of, of, of non-African-Americans about the importance of celebrating a black man. So that's kind of the context in which I have done ministry here. It sounds like you particularly have had to do ministry in a context that leads you to work in black and brown and white yes. and Asian yes. context. And, and, and indigenous people, because you know they, they have a lot of reservations here. Uh, several years ago, 10 or 11 years ago, uh, I, along with uh, uh, the Honorable Mary Rose Wilcox, who has been a longtime Hispanic leader, uh, has been a city council person, been a uh, a, a Maricopa County supervisor, we formed the Black Brown Coalition uh, uh, during the uh, mid 2000, well, uh, 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 yeah, between 2014, 2019, I served as a chair of the National Immigration Forum, which is a major, uh, major immigration advocacy group out of Washington, DC. And um, uh, so immigration has been a part of my ministry. Uh, not just justice works, they deal with African-Americans, but, but immigration. I've worked alongside indigenous people 
who, though they have reservations, uh, their, their plights in many cases are much worse than even African-Americans. And so, yes, we've had to build coalition, even for the King holiday. If every registered black person in Arizona in 1992 in the general election had voted for the King holiday, we still would have lost without white people. So, so yes, it's, it's been about coalition building, but yet and still nobody will let, uh, 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 dare tell you that I don't know her, I don't know who I am as an as a as an African American Christian prophetic pastor because I am unashamedly black and unapologetically Christian. Along with your context, yes, sir. Uh, informing content of ministry, can you say something to us about your capacity? Because we believe that there's a relationship between a pastor's uh, capacity and context and content. Can you say a word about how capacity of a pastor contributes to the content of ministry from, sure. from your perspective personally or as you've observed others? Yeah, just recently I was asked to speak to the pastoral staff of a white evangelical mega church here in the valley. I, I'm, I'm Friends with the pastor, we've been a, a part of a prayer group. We came together uh, after the tragic public execution of George Floyd and, and, and talked about how can we move from chaos and crisis to community in Christ. And so he invited me uh, and I spoke with him and uh, uh, with his pastoral staff and, and, and I kind of shared with them about capacity six P words, and I'll share them with you. I think they, uh, they deal with capacity. One, you have to have a sense of providence that, that God is guiding your life. This is, this is what God has for you to do. This is why he created you in his image and likeness, particularly to do whatever you're doing in ministry. The second P is purpose that he, he, He's put you in a place, he's provided for you to, to do ministry wherever you are for a purpose, whatever that purpose is. And of course, all pastors and preachers have the general purpose of shepherding and preaching and teaching and healing, but he gives each of us, I believe, an, an, an individual purpose for which he calls us to ministry. And so you have to understand that mind has had is Jesus and justice. I, what I've been about in the 51, almost 52 years I've been preaching now is about Jesus and justice, evangelism and emancipation, not one or the other, but both. So then after you understand that where you are is a sense of, is caused by the providence of God, you have purpose, piety, now, when I came out of seminary, I didn't know much about piety. I knew about uh, James Cone. I knew about Paul Tillich. I knew about Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, but I didn't know. I wasn't taught in seminary about how to have a devotional life, how to have an intimate relationship with God. And so I had to learn how to have a sense of piety. What is my relationship with God? Then you move to passion. You, you, got to, you got to be on fire. 
you got to, what is, uh, what it was, I think it was Jeremiah, it's like fire shut up in my bones. And you have to have that ignited. Now, sometimes the flame flickers, <laughs> but then you have to keep or you press through and it, it, it should never go out. God forbid if it goes out. So the whole passion. The fifth, the fifth P that I shared with that pastoral staff is people. If you don't like people, <laughs> you ain't got no business being in pastoral ministry. If you can't stand nobody but yourself, you, you, you need to be a monk or you need to be in the, in the ivory tower somewhere where you don't have, where you just write 24 hours a day and you don't contact, have contact with any people. You gotta have a sense of loving people the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Lord knows, in my 44 years of pastoring, I've seen from A to Z the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not only in them, but in myself. Yes, sir. And then the final P of those six is perseverance. You just, you just I mean, you gotta keep on keeping on. You gotta be like the energizer, Bunny, take a licking and keep on ticking. And Lord knows in ministry, and I know you know this, Dr. Goatley, we can get a lot of lickings, brother. We can get a lot of lickings, but we got to keep on ticking. So those six are providence, purpose, piety, passion, people, and perseverance. I think those, for me, deal with capacity. And, and let me just share this and, I, and I'll finish. And the end result, the end result is uh, what I put in the three E's, enthusiasm, effectiveness, and excellence. A word to our listeners, Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world. We collaborate with indigenously led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania, and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcarry.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed. Welcome back to the Lot Carry Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carry's Thriving in Ministry Program. 
Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now back to more of his interview with Reverend Dr. Warren H. Stewart, Sr., Senior Pastor of the First Institutional Baptist Church located in Phoenix, Arizona. What does excellence look like in pastoral ministry, at least from where you sit? Well, it, it goes back, I believe, Dr. Goldie, to the first word I mentioned, faithfulness. It's not perfection. It's not that you're successful in all that you do, but you are faithful to the calling God has upon your life. And you strive every day to be even more faithful, even when we fail, even when you fail, even when you falter, even when, even when we mess up. We get back up, we ask for forgiveness, or we admit that we did not exhibit excellence, and we say, thank you, Lord, for another day. I'm going to try it again. And God, God, man, is so full of grace and mercy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is very helpful. You're, you're helping somebody today in addition to me. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, the we, we we have folks who are listening from across the country and around the world and one thing that people sometimes uh, struggle to see clearly is the kind of humanity of leaders who have been very very successful i mean you you have a significant uh, amount, the Lord has blessed you with a significant amount of, of intellectual capacity and you've had great success in scholarship. You've had great success in being a pastor in the congregation and the community. I know you've been involved around the country in domestic missions, around the world and global missions. And so some people would look at uh, Dr. Warren Stewart Sr. with stars in their eyes and say, oh, I wish I could be like him, uh, but uh, I, I know enough to know that you weren't always where you are now. And so could you tell us about an area of leadership where you had to develop as a pastor? Oh, without a doubt. Dealing with insecurities, <laughs> dealing with insecurities. Um, one being black in America. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's that that's that's a dangerous insecurity. I mean, I mean, look what we've been dealing with in this land for now almost four hundred and two years. Still fighting the same battle. Still trying to prove to the white power structure that we are equal to them and that we deserve equity and, and we deserve justice. So, so there's that insecurity, but, but there, there, was, there has been insecurity in me. One, going back to what I said a, a, a few moments ago, in me coming to Arizona, I mean, 
Why? I wanted a church in New York City. Uh, I wanted, uh, why couldn't I have been called to a church in Atlanta or Dallas? I mean, where you, uh, uh, mega centers of black people. And here I am in the middle of the desert. I may not get to preach at some of the big conferences and institutes like the black preachers back east, you know, sent out of New York and, and, and in Pennsylvania and Illinois and down south in Georgia. So I have to struggle with that insecurity. Uh, another insecurity, uh, now when I came here, First Institutional was not only uh, the oldest black Baptist church, but it was the largest black Baptist church. And one of my colleagues, a young man, and he's deceased now, God bless his soul, he used to, as a teenage preacher, would come and sit in my early service and just watch me. And, 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 and he would say this publicly, you know, at his anniversaries. And he said, I would come and sit in the back of first institution. And I, I learned from Dr. Stewart. Well, in the nineties, his church took off and they, he had a little small church that might've sat 200. Then he went to a high school auditorium. Then he, then he, built his own church and he, he built a mega church that I guess seats 2000 and, and had 5,000 members. And, and, and at one time the Phoenix Suns and the Arizona Cardinal stars would come to go to first institutional, but then they moved down the street. <laughs> and, 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 I, and, and, and he would boast that look what I've got and I've been in nobody's seminary. And so here I am with an earned doctorate here I am who's out in the streets fighting for people who, who, who've taken the discipline of scholarship. And he now has the largest black church, one of the largest churches in the valley. So I, 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 had, to, I had to struggle with that. And, 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 and God just kept telling me, don't compare yourself to anyone else. Do what I told you to do. What brings you the most joy as a pastor? Waking up every morning, seeing what the Lord has for me to do on that, on, on that given day. One, just to get up. I, I'm as excited and enthused about doing ministry now in my 44th year at FIBC. Probably more excited now. Because again, to, to go to my grandfather, who was not a preacher, he, he was a deacon, Deacon Clarence Washington Sr. He, he would always say, I, I want my last days to be my best days. I, and so I'm at a season in life, I know I'm not gonna be here longer than I've been here. And so to see some of my last days of ministry, I mean, I was just talking to a friend last night, some of the stuff that the Lord is dropping in front of me right now, I said like, wow. I mean, here, I'm a, I'm a senior citizen. I, I'm trying to work my way out and God is still using me. I mean, so I'm excited about, even with the aches and pains of arthritis, <laughs> 
and and the lapses of memory going into a room and forgetting why you went into the room. <laughs> but, but you still have joy. <laughs> still have joy. Yeah, I do. I do. Well, can you uh, tell us uh, if it's possible to talk about the best advice that you received about pastoral leadership? When I first came here, I was 25 years of age. FIBC was what you would call a bougie church. You know, all the teachers, educators, doctors, and lawyers went. And, but they had also fired my predecessor. So uh, they hadn't got over that issue. So when I got here, <laughs> a lot of those educators and doctors want to take out on me what they didn't get to take out on the guy that they fired. And, um, and I mean, and then they had church business meetings every month, God help us. And I had two educators, bless their hearts, they're both dead now. If I said the sky was blue, they would make a motion that they disagreed that the sky was a, a mixture of, of blue and gray. I mean, I mean, I mean, what, whatever I said. And uh, I would, after business meetings, I would be so depressed. I'd get on for I called Dr. Ray. I said, Dr. Ray, Dr. Ray. I said, and I tell him what happened. And he would say, listen, Warren. He said, don't let 5% of your members who criticize you cause you forget about the 95% who love and support your ministry. Don't ever let them do that. And so I would say for any, any pastors and preachers uh, who are going through challenging times or, and, and may be getting uh, unnecessary criticism, or unfair criticism, uh, don't let a minority of agitators and antagonizers cause you to forget about all though the majority who are praying for you and who love you and can't wait till you get to the pulpit every Sunday to hear what else God has to say through you. That was very helpful information that that, like I said, because I, I would call Dr. Ray after those business meetings. I mean, I mean, sometimes I would be in tears after, after. I mean, because I, I, I was doing nothing but trying to lead and shepherd the people. The church was growing, the money was increasing, but they said they felt I was a that small minority, a going too soon, too fast as a young man. What advice would you like to give our listeners about flourishing in ministry? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for that. I just preached about it yesterday. It's one of my life's motto verses, Proverbs 16, 3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Hebrew word for commit is galeo, which means to roll in a ball. And so when it says, commit your work to the Lord, your plans will be established. I think of a of bowling that you, you take all of who God has made you, those six Ps I talked about before, 
you roll them up into a spiritual ball, you see those 10 pins at the end of the lane. And your, your aim is to get a strike. You may not get a strike, but you roll up all of who God has created you to be and the ministry has called you to be. You aim toward that strike, toward those pins, and you let it go. Maybe you get a strike this time. Maybe you don't. Maybe you get a gutter ball, but you get start again. But, but it, is, it is committing your work to the Lord. And it says your plans will step. And when you commit your work to the Lord, your plans actually transform into his plans. So it's not you fulfilling your desire. It's you are now fulfilling the Lord's desire. I tell young preachers this and I'm done. I don't plan, I prepare. Now, of course, I, I, I have a schedule for what I'm gonna do tomorrow, the next day, et cetera. But I don't focus on planning. I stay in a constant state of preparation for the next thing God's gonna drop on me to do. Proverbs 16.3. We've been blessed to be in conversation with Dr. Warren H. Stewart Sr., the lead pastor of the First Institutional Baptist Church in Phoenix, Arizona. I and many others uh, love uh, to, to watch your witness and your ministry. And even though some people can't see all the way to Phoenix, some of us can, and we are blessed by it. Thanks for being with us today, Doc. Thanks for having me. You have blessed me today. Bless all who are listening. Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org. Mm -hmm.